I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes 12, which is not the book of Daniel. I didn't say it wrong. There are 12 chapters in the book of Daniel, but we're going to Ecclesiastes. Now, when I deviate from the pattern, uh, it's usually for a reason. Uh, This particular reason is uh, not exactly known to me. I was ready to go into Daniel chapter 7. But I really felt like this is where we should be this morning. And so we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 12. Uh, We will read the text. Um, I know I'm on a timer this morning. It's not, it was scarlet last time, but I know Zach is timing me and he told me he would give me a signal when I got to get too long here. Uh, So I will try not to look at him as we get towards the end of this. We're going to read the entirety of the chapter and make... Some comments along the way. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, And the strong men bow down. When the grinders cease because they are few. And those that look through the windows grow dim. When the doors are shut in the streets. And the sound of grinding is low. When one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of music are brought low. Also they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden, and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, I didn't write that part. He still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Well, that's the text. Let me see if I can make some sense of it where there might be confusion. This is the end of a book of wisdom written by uh, King Solomon, who the Bible tells us was blessed with great wisdom. He didn't live his life always in a very wise way. And here we have a reflection at what we presume is the end of his life, looking back through a... I guess you would say an innumerable number of mistakes, an innumerable amount of mistakes. Uh, 
especially if you were to read through the tragedy, not only of his life and the way that he lived, but also what he brought onto the nation of Israel because of how he lived. And he writes this uh, towards the end, is the general scholarly assumption. And it's a call in verse 1 and then repeated in verse 6. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Um, Verse 6 says, Remember your creator in many of your translations. It may be in italics because it's a callback that the translators are helping us with to verse 1. But we have it there because the word before appears there as well. Remember your creator, this is verse 1, in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Verse 6, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. In the King James it says in verse 1, while they come not, speaking of the difficult days, which is why in most modern translations we have the word before, while difficult days come not, the idea that they are coming. So remember your creator before difficult days come. The King James in verse 6, remember your creator um, or ever the silver cord is loosed, which is again, before is the idea. So it's a call that we think of God. I seem to have uh, spent a lot of time with people in the middle of difficult days over the last few weeks. And so uh, I'm particularly sensitive to verses 1 through 6. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Most people see verses 1 through 6 speaking of the human body. And there's metaphors for each one of these. I think that makes sense in light of where he lands in verse 7 when he says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God. Verse 5 concludes, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Um, That coupled with the reference that we should remember our Creator before these days when life is difficult uh, certainly seems to indicate that this is talking about old age. And so from verses 3 through 5, we have a number of metaphors, a number of of, uh, metaphors to help us with old age and picturing it exactly in all of its frailty. Um, We start in verse 1, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So we're not talking about someone who's middle-aged or someone who is approaching old age. We're talking about someone, as the verses will go on to allude to, who is truly near the end. Um, Now, when we say near the end, we're talking about a level of infirmary or a level of bodily breakdown. Uh, that's described here in the following verses that that doesn't leave a lot of pleasure to be experienced in this world. Uh, I think it's almost merciful for some people how how quickly or abruptly the end comes at the end. Um, But for others, it certainly goes on a very long time. Um, They struggle uh, both as their body breaks down and their mind. And it's tough to, to imagine pleasure at that stage of life. Solomon is nearing, I think it's safe to say, that stage of life, if not in the middle of it. And that's what he's writing about. Verse 2 gives a a bit of a summary. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. I think verse 2 describes a bleakness for someone at this final stage of life. A bleakness. Remember God in the days of your youth, 
before the years come when you don't have any pleasure, while the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened. It's the idea that if you've ever watched uh, an old show uh, that's black and white, everything is bleak and gray. There's no vibrancy. There's no there's no pleasure in it. Uh, it says, and the clouds do not return after the rain. Um, we've had a bit of rain lately, but we're in the middle of summertime. So what does it do? It rains, the sun comes out the next day. It rains, the sun comes out the next day. This describes a way of looking at the world as if it rains and the sun doesn't come out. The clouds just linger and it rains again and still the sun doesn't come out. It's, there's a, a real misery described in a practical sense here. Then we get into the metaphors of verse 3. I'll try to walk you through these briefly. I'm sure you'll find them relatable. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, the house being the physical body, and certainly you probably have related to people who begin to tremble as they get older, begin to shake, um, unable to do things that used to be pretty easy. When strong men bow down, um, this speaks of the legs and the back. Um, a great bending, a great bowing, a shrinking of the spine. Someone who used to stand at a strong 5'10", 5'11", 6 foot, and now a short guy like me is looking down at him. When the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, teeth teeth. We have some modern amenities to help us with this issue. Uh, Solomon was not so fortunate in ancient times uh, when our ability to, to break down and to chew and to find pleasure in food starts to diminish because there's not much we can take. And those that look through the windows grow dim. The eyes um, your grandpa, I brought you your paper today. Can you read it to me? Because I can't, I can't see it that well. Uh, grandpa, you go outside anymore. No, I, I, can't, I can't see that uh, very well anymore. When our eyes start to break down. When the doors are shut in the streets. Um, it's a, a sad thing when people who used to skip out the door and and uh, make light work of moving down the sidewalk to catch the mail in the morning, uh, are now homebodies who are shut in and can't leave. And the sound of the grinding is low. Uh, we have some devices to help us with that. I'm not sure they work all the time, and I'm looking at you, brother, but we have some devices to help us with that. Tammy's laughing. When your ears start to break down, when one rises up at the sound of a bird, the idea of broken sleep, can't get through the night, up and down, up and down. When all the daughters of music are brought low, a voice that used to boom doesn't seem to break the sound of the fan in the corner anymore. Also, they are afraid of height. You don't want to fall at this stage of life. You don't want to tumble. You don't want to be up on anything. You're not, you're not stepping up on the ladder anymore. You're not climbing up on the footstool anymore. And of terrors in the way. Obstacles in the path have become terrors. I don't want to trip. I don't want to fall. 
when the almond tree blossoms. That's white hair. That's white and gray hair. I'm not going to have that problem. Uh, my, the blossom has been pruned off of my, my, my head. But, and a grasshopper is a burden. A very ancient, very common thing in the ancient world. You'd have to deal with bugs. You'd have to deal with pests. You'd be out in the field and you might look up and say, oh, there's a bug on me here or there. But, but the idea here, and of course it's a little hyperbole that even a bug will weigh them down. You can't, I can't carry anything. It's a, it's a burden. And desire fails. There's no more zeal for life. There's no more passion. For man goes to his eternal home. Mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the well. Summary, when wealth fades... And things that used to be daily sources of sustenance no longer sustain. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. It's amazing what we do to try to prepare our bodies to look nice. I tried a little bit this morning. Um, I put on a suit jacket. I had a tie on. Walked in. Someone said, that tie clashes. So I took it off. I put it back in the car on the way to Sunday school. I walk back in from Sunday school. I walk in the back. Someone said, you took your tie off. I thought it looked nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's lipstick on a pig at this point in time. For man goes to his eternal home, dust to dust and ashes to ashes. Yesterday, Allison and I went for a walk in the evening. Saw uh, Ryan driving back into town, uh, waved, found out from Facebook that that was not a pleasant drive home. Uh, saw, saw that, brother. Sorry about that. And we walked, and we said, hey, it's Ryan and Bridget. Hope they're doing well. Walked through the cemetery, and we started looking at the headstones, just walking around. And I don't normally, like, stare at them, but one caught my eye. There was this big headstone, but it had an old date. And I said, man, that seems like a really nice big headstone for an old date. And we looked, and it had been a new one for you know, several smaller ones that were clearly the originals, the old ones. And you start looking at the, at the dates on them, and some of them you're like, oh, that person lived a long life, that person lived a long life, and then you see one, oh, that, 30. And then you see the small one on the end, three, two. And you realize how fragile life is, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. And the spirit doesn't evaporate when we die, not according to verse 7. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. And then we get the final echo. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, this is a constant refrain. Vanity of vanities. The final time the preacher says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Emptiness of emptiness. All the things to spend your life on and to fill your time up. And dust to dust, ashes to ashes. And then we get the summary in verse 9 from the end of the book. He speaks of himself in the third person, that he's tried to assemble wisdom. Verse 10, uh, he sought to find acceptable words. Every once in a while you'll hear uh, the Proverbs criticized because some of the Proverbs and the lines that appear in there um, are also quoted in other ancient religious texts of other peoples. I don't ever have a problem with that. It says right here that the preacher sought to find acceptable words, that he, he wrote down what was upright. He wrote down the ones that were of truth. So 
I mean, there are certain uh, wisdoms in the book of Proverbs that are common to men. Um, but the ones that he writes down are the ones that he felt led by God to write down. It says here, the words of the wise are like goads. A goad is like a cattle prod, like an animal prod. When, when you read true words of wisdom, it's, it's, uh, it's like they, they goad you, they, 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 they prod you to, to move in a way contrary to what our own foolishness uh, might, might lead us to. The words of scholars are like well-driven nails, uh, nailed to a framework that will center us. Uh, uh, and then it says, given by one shepherd, and that's his testimony. This is not from me. This is from the Lord God. Um, I'm convicted there, given by one shepherd. Uh, the word shepherd uh, being the same word for pastor, and that um, even the pastors in our church bear the responsibility of trying to relay words of wisdom from God. Sometimes they goad you, I understand. And it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it's repetitive, like well-driven nails that keep hammering away on the same things to bind us to the same framework. I hope we do that well. Further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books. There is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Of all, you could go to, I like bookstores. You may not like bookstores. Maybe you like YouTube, and you learn a lot from there, wherever it is. But the idea here is you can spend your life devouring knowledge. Beware of that. Um, not that it's wrong to learn, but beware because this is the conclusion of the matter in verse 13. Don't go, don't go obsessing over knowledge of all that's out there unless you're already settled on the conclusion. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is man's all. You say, well, why? Why is this man's all? Verse 14, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's the exposition. The first part. Second part. I'd like to just meditate for a second on what it means here when it says, Remember your Creator. Two Two exhortations in the days of your youth, that's one, before the evil days come. In the days of your youth, remember your Creator. And before evil days come, remember your Creator. I'll tell you of three visits that I had over the last week. One was with uh, Mary Baker. Some of you have not been in the church long enough to even know who Mary Baker is. I, she, she is essentially been confined to home for uh, many years now, debilitating uh, back injuries, um, multiple surgeries. And yet when you call and you talk to Mary, or if, if, if you, and, and I encourage you to do it, you never get a sense of despair or complaining. She doesn't mask the challenge of it. Mary, for years, cleaned the church faithfully, Doing the hard stuff. She, she would strip wax all of the tiles. She would wash and refinish the baptistry. Four years worked very hard. Very hard working woman. And now just, just difficult moving about the house. She's old. And I called Mary and talked with Mary. And she submitted prayer requests. And it was never a pray for me with my pain. Or pray for me with my back. It was always 
Pray for my family. Pray for my family. Pray for my family. She's in these days. Mary is. You can honor her by praying for her family. I went and I visited with Don. You know, Don uh, has been on an oxygen tank for a while. Um, a couple of years now. And it's gotten harder and harder. He had a big bout with pneumonia. Went to the hospital. And now he's at home. Very weak. Um, very open. Struggling with anxiety over what happens if I get away from home and I can't catch my breath. Or if I, I mean, just very difficult. I sat on... Sat on his bed with him and talked with him. And not super spiritual for a while. And then of his own volition, he said, I really hope that God has used my life. Because he's probably in this area too, right? I hope he recovers, hope he returns. But this is where he's going and he knows it. Sorry. Then I went and I visited. We had a great visit with my grandparents. It's been a while since I'd been to their little condo. I lived with my grandparents when I was a kid for, I don't know, a little bit more than a year. Does that sound right, Nathan? And I think of my grandpa as this, this big, strong guy. And uh, he wasn't always super friendly. He was never mean, but he wasn't always super friendly. Uh, I'm not sure he was thrilled we were living with him at the time. Uh, uh, but we were, and, uh, you know, uh, we'd fly around his yard with these Nerf guns shooting arrows at each other, and they'd end up God knows where, and then we'd have to tell him we shot an arrow on the roof, sorry about that, and get the ladder out and up on the roof to get the arrow down, and uh, it was, uh, but he had this, he had a basketball hoop in his driveway, I'd never had that before, and man, just going out and playing basketball, never had a basketball hoop before. And, uh, yeah, uh, my love for basketball uh, had a lot to do with that man in his happier moments. He was a hard-working guy in his happier moments, taking me out to play pig, play horse, shoot baskets. And, uh, you know, whenever I was ready to get out of the house to get away from a little of the gruffness, there was always, I could always get a ball and go through the garage and shoot hoops. That way I could always do that. And that uh, still carries on to this day. Um, my grandfather, he uh, worked at uh, Dayton Press um, in Dayton, making magazines, and he was a physical guy. He, he, he was unloading the paper, the magazines come off, pick up a stack of them, 100 pounds, move it here, and that was, that was his job. I don't know what kind of vocational training he needed for that, but the, in high school, he he, his last years of high school, he told me he trained to do that work on a press, didn't seem like it was the kind of job that would require a lot of training, and he assured me that it wasn't. It was basically so he didn't have to keep going to school. He could just start working and get his degree that way. My grandmother, too, a very hardworking woman as a nurse uh, in a maternity ward at Miami Valley Hospital for most of her life. And now they don't get around. Uh, I used to look up to my grandpa, uh, literally look up to my, to my, my grandfather, big strong man, big physical guy, uh, a uh, great bowler, great golfer, great basketball player. Just everything came naturally to him and would tell you that. He, he showed me, he, me and the kids, he took into his, his, little, his little, you know, back area where he, now he, he works puzzles. That's about all he can do. He's got to have a special chair to do it. 
but he's go and get up on that shelf and go up on the shelf and he wants me to pull down his uh his uh, uh club championship golf trophy from 2005 and he's showing it to us and telling us about it and i'm thinking 2005 is not that long ago but it is it is and uh, it talks about terrors in the way in here my grandpa wanted the kids to be able to go uh, hit some golf. He lives on the edge of a golf course in a little, a small little condo in Vandalia. He wanted the kids to go onto the golf course and be able to play on the practice. He just wanted to have fun over at his house, and he can't go do anything with them. So he said, let's go to the garage. I've got a couple old putters and golf balls. You can have those. And so I'm watching my grandfather walk through the yard to the garage, and I swear every other step I think he's going to fall down. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm experiencing anxiety. He's wobbling, and it's, the ground is uneven, just walking behind this man. And he used to hit softballs a half a mile and run forever. And, but this is where he's at. They would all tell you to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Why? Because this is the time. This is the time to think of God. Um, give God the meaty portion of your life. Give Him the part of substance so that what you do with your life does not end in vanity and in worthlessness. And again, I hear Don's voice. I hope God has used me. Give God the meaty portion of your life. When I was a kid, we had a dog. And we would give the dog, who my father, because he's a John Wayne fan, named Dog. If you don't get that movie reference, that's all right. You're not missing anything, in my opinion. We had a dog named Dog. And we would give the dog the scraps off the table. It's the kind of dog that once, you, once the dog got it, you didn't get it back. I mean, you were going to go to the hospital if you tried to take it away. Right, Nate? It was a good family dog, except when it came to food. And we would throw him the, the scraps. And I would plead with you, do not, do not give God the scraps of your life at the end when you've chewed off the meatiest portion for yourself and you've devoured it and left nothing to it, and all you have left at the end is, here you go. Do not do that with your life as if God were some mangy dog. Hey, he'll take this. Ah, he'll take this. He'll take this. Two fools, two fools in the Bible that I would call your attention to. The first one from Psalm 14.1. The fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. And you see the, the imploring of Solomon here. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't be the fool who lives as if there is no God. Notice there. The fool who has said in his heart that there is no God. You're probably not here this morning. Uh, some of you may. But you're probably not here this morning if you're going to Stand up and with your lips say, there is no God. Don't be the fool who lives his life declaring in his heart with his intentions and his desires, relentlessly in pursuit of his own passions, there is no God. 
I'm in charge. This is all about me. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the second fool I would draw your attention to is the rich young ruler who looked the God of all heaven and earth in his human face, who looked Jesus straight in the eyes and turned away from him and left because he wanted the best parts of his life for himself and he would not part with them. Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, looks this man and says, Leave your possessions behind. Give them to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. A personal, direct, verbal, audible call to follow me. And the man said, no. When the king of kings and the lord of lords, the one who will inherit the heaven and the earth, the one who holds your life in his hands, invites you to be rich in his kingdom and follow him. And you say, no. That's what this is getting at. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Um, there's a parable in Luke 16 that I don't think is a parable. I think it's a real story, but it's often called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus never says it's a parable. He uses real names. So I think that it's a real story, but I digress. You remember, Lazarus is the guy. We don't know how old he is. He could be a young guy. We have no idea, but he is infirmed. He has wounds and sores on his body that it's described in the parable that even the dogs come and lick. So he is an unhealthy person. He is infirmed. And because of his infirmary, he positions himself outside the gates of a rich person, hoping, as many beggars would do, to be able to dig through the scraps of whatever came in and out of that man's house. And the rich man knew he was there and never invited him in, never, never distributed anything to him. And Lazarus stayed there in the sustenance that he could manage until he eventually died, and also the rich man died too. And you remember what Abraham says to the rich man who is in torment in that story, because the rich man does not go to the place of peace that Lazarus goes to. The, the rich man is not with the Lord, as Lazarus says. He is in a place of suffering, and he asks Abraham to, to allow him to have a drop of water fall to his tongue. For I am in anguish, is the wording, I believe. And Abraham says, Son, remember, in your lifetime, I just want you to pause right there. How long is that, really? Son, remember, in your lifetime, which is described to us in the Bible, as a vapor in the wind, You received your good things. And Lazarus received evil things. And now he is comforted and you are in torment. 
So I guess three fools that I'll point out to you. Lazarus evidently in his tormented life remembered his creator. And this man did not. He was too busy enjoying himself. What was he doing? I don't know. Did he inherit the wealth? Did he accumulate it through his own hard labor? I don't know. But I know this. He was the fool who said in his heart, there is no God. He did not remember his creator. And his lifetime was over like that. There's a fourth fool, incidentally, in the Bible. The guy who fills his barns of all of the surplus and says, now I'm going to have the easy life from now on. And God says, you fool. Why is he a fool? Because this very night, your life will be like a vapor in the wind. And I think that's what we're getting at in Ecclesiastes 12. Life is not that long. You don't have that much on your plate. I'd like for you to turn, just wrap this up, but just look at a couple of quick texts here. Hebrews chapter 11. I just want to read verses 13 through 16. Hebrews chapter 11, I'll read now in verse 13. This is the famous hall of faith. We're just talking about men and women who have faithfully served God. And then it says this, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. They hadn't received the kingdom of God. They were looking toward them. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them. Now that's faith. The young person can see the promises that God has made from a long way off. And so they live a life of faith and God uses lives like that in unanticipated ways. Because they see the promises of God as, as certain and sure and deliverable, even from a long way off. So they live by faith. Having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This life is a journey to a home. This earth is not a home that I am journeying through. It is a journey to a home. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, it says in the text. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. If they saw New Paris, Ohio as their home, then they could bunker down in New Paris, Ohio. If they saw, you know, uh, Jerusalem as their home, then they could bunker down in Jerusalem. But these people lived as if they were going to a homeland. And it says, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Do you live your life as if everything around you 
doesn't belong to you and is temporal and is easy come, easy go, and fleeting, and insecure, and vulnerable to robbers, and vulnerable to thieves, vulnerable to manipulation, vulnerable to laws, vulnerable to the IRS, vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. Or do you live as if this is your homeland and you're going to eat, drink, and be merry because you know someday you're going to die? These people live by faith because they saw the promises of God, the promise of a homeland, the promise of a kingdom, the promise of a dwelling place. They saw it and they believed it. Now is the time to remember your Creator, now and today. I have so much more to share, but I won't. Instead, here is Matthew Henry, the, the Bible commentator, from um, his take on Ecclesiastes 12 and the final verses. You remember the final verses? Final verses that we read. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Here's five of Matthew Henry's points on this conclusion from King Solomon. Number one, there is a judgment to come. Number two, God Himself will be the judge. Three, every work will then be brought into judgment. Four, even the secret things, both good and evil, will be brought to light, brought to an account. And five, in consideration of that judgment that is to come and the inevitable strictness of that judgment that is to come because of who the judge is. Let us be very concerned with walking with God. And then I'll read this, that we may give up our account with joy. You are going to stand before God and give an account for your life. Everything will be on the table. God is omniscient. He has no problem remembering things like you and I do or recalling things. He is a being entirely unlike us and He has an account of your life. Everything good and everything evil. What can we do to be sure that when we come before God at that time of accounting it will be a time of joy rather than sorrow? What can we do? Well, I read... This morning to start the service, Romans chapter 5. So I'm going to conclude with it again. You can turn there if you like. You don't have to. But here is Paul in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith. You're not going to stand before God and give an account of your life and be justified, which means be found righteous because of your works. Whatever gets judged in that book is not going to spare me. There are far too many secret sins, far too many public sins for me to have any merit to get past that judgment with joy. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
I'll skip down to verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What is my faith in? My faith is Jesus Christ has paid the penalty that I deserve at the cross. My sins, my crimes, and the penalty, the penal fault that I owe to God was dealt with at the cross. He bore the penalty willingly. And His righteousness, His ability to keep the law, which I have demonstrated incapable of doing, His righteousness is imputed to me so that there is a substitution. By faith, I believe that Jesus Christ covered my penalty at the cross and that His righteousness is mine now because of God's grace. He has given it to me, a righteousness that's not my own. And when I sin this afternoon, I don't have to run anywhere. I hope I don't sin this afternoon. I'm not planning anything. When I sin this afternoon, my faith holds that what Jesus did at the cross covers the penalty of my debt. I don't need to run to a priest and confess all of my venial and mortal sins and ask Him to tell me the penance that I have to go do in order to be absolved of them. And I don't have to look towards that little man in a booth and ask for his forgiveness. Jesus is our great high priest who offered one sacrifice to cover all sin. And by faith, we can know his grace which forgives indefinitely. For while we were still without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And he goes on to say, you know, it's not very often that people die for somebody, but maybe if it was a really good person, someone would be willing to give their life for them. But he showed his love toward us in that while we were sinners, not really good people, Christ died for us. You don't have to become a good person first. You don't have to clean up your life first. You don't have to muster inside yourself some desire for religious things that doesn't exist. But what you have to do is you have to know where you stand before God. You are a sinner who will give an account and who will be found guilty. You have to know that because that knowledge feeds the only thing required of you. You have to trust what Jesus Christ has done for you at the cross. Why is there a Savior? Because I am a sinner in need of salvation. Is what He has done enough for me? Yes, it is. Have I done enough? No, no, no. What He has done is enough for me. That's faith. And from that point, you trust God to bring about the transformation in your life that's required. God brings the transformation in His own time and in His own, and in His own way. But it doesn't start with you cleaning up your life. It starts with you trusting Him that what He's done for you is sufficient. The transformation is His work, not yours. And He will be faithful. God will personally help you. I don't know how long ago it's been, Craig, since you've made a profession of faith and we got up in that muddy-looking water and you got baptized. I don't know how long it's been. Since October, September, something like that. 
God is in charge of the transformation, not Craig. God is in charge of this guy's transformation, not me. What's required of you is faith. And so, as we observe the Lord's Supper, let's remember our Creator. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I hope this has been a time of gospel clarity and I'm sorry that that I've taxed anyone, Father, for carrying on too long, for drawing it out too much. I wish I was better at this. I wish that I could present the gospel in a way that always brought joy and excitement and gratitude. But the power of the message does not depend upon the man. Thank you, God. So if you will be so kind, to give us a spirit of grace this morning. And to bring about a change in the hearts of the people here, where appropriate, at your discretion. A change that is more real, more tangible than any mere manipulation that some great speaker could perform. And I would be very grateful for that this morning. I pray that we approach you as children before a loving Father who has paid a great price to know Him. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.